Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Friday PM. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're joining us from in the world, you are so welcome. If this is your first time on Friday PM, welcome to the Friday PM series. Be mightily blessed by what you're going to see today. And for our regular viewers, of course, welcome back. Great to see you and thanks for joining us today. Well, I'm happy to announce and very privileged and honored to announce that we are starting an eight-part series on the history of Vine Song, how it all began and how it's grown to what it is today, and all, of course, to the glory of God. This year marks Vine Song's 40th ministry year. The Lord birthed his ministry in 1982, but a lot has even happened in order for it to be birthed, and we want to take you on this journey with us to give God the glory. You know, Zechariah 4 verse 10 says, Do not despise those days of small beginnings. And if we see the humble beginnings of what the Lord did through the ministry of Vine Song and how it started, I'm praying you're going to be mightily blessed with every single episode. So be blessed by what you're going to see today. We're going to start with, of course, God using an obedient, willing vessel in the form of John Watson. And it takes a willing and obedient spirit to be able to hear what God is saying and what He wants and how He directs us. And if we're obedient, I believe the Lord can do so much through us if we're willing to heed to the call and to be willing to hear what He has to tell us. So be mightily blessed by what you're going to see today of how it all started. So enjoy this first part of this eight-part series. God richly bless you. So it's my joy and privilege today to be with John Watson, the leader and founder of Vinesong, but who also is a pastor, a teacher, a composer, uh, and a a great man of God in our generation. And John, um, I know that you have fathered and been a father figure for many, many people in in the body of Christ, touched many, many lives, including my own. what we want to do today is hear a little bit about your own story, which obviously is mixed with the story of Vine Song. And you have been a great father figure for many, but tell us about your own father and where you were uh, raised and how you ended up or how you started off your life in Zimbabwe, Africa. Well, I'd like to preface everything by saying that what I'm going to say to you and everyone must bring glory to God, not to me. I would prefer not to say anything, but it seems that uh, it's imperative that I need to put down a little bit of my journey because it has been a journey and a very interesting journey and at any point of the journey, uh, every chapter, I could have written a book about that because everything seems so enormous that if you put it all together, um, it would uh, tell quite a big story. And um, my parents were missionaries 
in Zimbabwe, and my father continued to serve the Lord in his calling. He was tent-making some of the time um, by helping to build uh, houses. Uh, he did whatever he needed to do, but for the most part, 70 to 80% of him was on the mission field. And my mother, of course, had very, very poor health. So it was not easy for him mm. to uh, stay on the mission field all the time. And uh, I have an old, older sister and a younger brother who's already uh, gone to be with the Lord. And uh, so we were brought up in all kinds of situations and uh, some of them on mission fields. And one time, the real typical African whitewashed huts, they used to call the African people for church and for meals by hitting a big 44-gallon uh, drum hanging from a tree, mm -hmm. made a big dong-dong sound. And um, the church was very legalistic when I was young. Okay. Not my dad's church, but the, the the people he belonged to. And he had a car that was always, always boiling, the engine. And my dad would go down these mountain dirt roads and always head for a river so he could put water in the radiator. And my mother would cry every time and say, you must write to the mission board and ask them for a better car. And uh, they did. And every day she would, he would ask her if the reply had arrived. And they eventually got a reply and she was crying. And my father said, tell the children what they said. And they said that they were sorry to say that they would have to decline his request because if he got a better car, it would make him proud and not, and not mm. keep him humble. Right. So that was what I was brought up in as a child. and uh, But that in no way turned you away from the Lord or off from the Lord. Oh, no, you you had your own experience with the Lord, yeah. Well, it did. If you, if you compound all these things right through my life, from 18 years onwards, I think I'd sort of lost interest. And uh, I want to explore, I wanted to explore other avenues and uh, eventually I got my first job as in television as a studio manager. And, um, of course, from there on, you know, I became a materialist because my uh, rec recollection of, of what toys were was that I got second-hand toys mm. from a missionary box and all the cars had three wheels, you know. Right. Or two wheels. <laughs> you know, we were brought up at the end of the war, when the war, war stopped. That's when I was born. And uh, in England, all the good Christians used to always save everything for the missionaries. They'd say, don't throw your tea bag away. We've only used it once. No. And they'd hang them on the line to dry and then repackage them and send them to Africa. Wow. So the tea bags had all been used, and uh, so we remember this as children. And so I became 
an insatiable materialist. Wow. And, you know, God was on my side because uh, we moved to South Africa yes. before the war in Zimbabwe. Mm. I didn't know that I was the fleece that my father had put before the Lord. Really? And I walked into the room one day and my father said, there's big trouble coming for Zimbabwe and we want to move. I want to take you and Ronald to a safer place. Where would you like to go? And I thought, wow. I've always wanted to live by the sea. So I said, Durban in South Africa. He said, that's it, we're going to Durban. You were the fleece. And I put before the Lord. Wow. And um, so they moved to Durban with my brother and I. Mm. We got established and they went back. Really? For the whole of the war. Right. And there, my father saw his main commission was to lead all the farmers to the Lord, and nearly all of them got killed. So they knew Jesus before they died. Wow. It was a very bad war. Yeah. And um, later on it changed from Rhodesia to Zimbabwe. Right. And um, so being in South Africa, that was the beginning of my real journey because um, my brother became the youngest bank manager in South African history. Is that right? Uh, he had his first branch, and I think he was 21. So give us some context. When you arrived in Durban, how old were you at the time? About 20. Then I went on a big trip overseas with a Jewish doctor friend of mine. We caught the boat to England, and I had a big adventure and went everywhere and came back. And then I went into business uh, as a f with the uh, French publishing company, and uh, they were the official printers and publishers for the French embassy in Durban. And then a friend of mine offered me a position to come into his wholesale agency, and we represented quite a few factories mm. and had showrooms mm. and I eventually bought him out actually and he moved to another city and I had a lovely townhouse and uh, I had wonderful friends, Margaret and Howard Whitehead. We worked out we've been best friends for 52 years and um, so it was a very important time for me because I felt empty. Mm. I had BMW, Mercedes, nice house, mm. lots of friends, and I had my successful business. Mm. And I sat in my garden one day and I said to the Lord that this is not where it is. Mm. I was empty and unhappy and material things didn't mean anything. Mm. And friends of mine said that they'd found a little church down a back street called the Invisible Church. And I was so interested because it was a total breakaway from what I was used to. Mm -hmm. And they used a borrowed Lutheran, African Lutheran church as their church. And it was in the Jesus Revival where there's a breakaway 
and all musicians started turning to the Lord. And I went in with my friends to this little Baptist church, a Lutheran church, and uh, everyone was wearing jeans. And I was very unsettled because I sensed these people had love. Mm. And uh, so I made a decision that I... This is what year we're talking? 70... Five, mid seventy, yeah, nineteen seventy-five, and I made a decision that I wouldn't go back to that church. And two two weeks later, I parked my car way down the road, and I sneaked in the side door. And the pastor, who was called Nelson Nurse, he lunged at me, and he did something I would never have done, and that was to confront me. And he said, "I know who you are." He said, I know who your parents are and I know your upbringing and uh, I need you to play the organ. We've never heard it played. And I was so afraid and I felt really a nervous wreck that he'd even dare to speak to me. So I went to the organ when people were talking casually. I had a little pact with God that it was my time to come back. There would be stained glass windows, carpet down the aisle, and a pipe organ and choir, and they would all sing, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And this was broken down old church, the broken down old Hammond organ. But my other little uh, mark I'd said for God was that there would be the hymn book that I used as growing up because I can't read music. So I went to this organ and there it was, the hymn book. I counted how many hymns I knew. There were about 75 hymns. So he said, do you know any of those hymns? I went, (laughs) yeah, a couple. (laughs) And um, so the following Sunday night I went to help them. You know, I was very in a very benevolent mood and said, yeah, I'll... You know, it's terrible what pride can do, but I felt that I was going to be such a help. So I went on the Sunday night and not thinking they'd never heard the organ and the band and everything. It was wonderful, you know, and I started going every Sunday night. And we had a coffee bar around the corner called the Fisherman's Net where all the musicians in town used to come to. And um, I decided to go on Sunday morning because everyone was raving about Sunday mornings. And uh, this one Sunday, I'd really said to God, when he gives the altar call, I'm going to get up from the organ, I'm going to walk to the front and receive Jesus. And God driven me to that place in my life where I needed to do that. And it was a Sunday night. He was giving the altar call. And when the altar call was finished and he'd finished praying for all the people that came forward, I realized I hadn't gone to the front. And I said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I was so busy praying that people would hear the message. And that's when I felt like this amazing presence of God. Mm. And he said, my grace has been with you. 
I remember you meant it when you gave your life to the Lord when I was about 14. I think at an old Roberts meeting, sawdust and, you know, the tent and, and the evangelist preaching. And I went forward to give my life to Jesus. So I'd been backslidden all those years. But that night the Lord brought me back. And uh, I went home from church and all my friends were in my home waiting for me. And I walked in and they said, you've changed. We've lost you. Where are you? We heard you even giving money to this church. And they said, what a strange name, Invisible Church. Aren't you afraid? And God said to me, if you don't stand up for me today, all these people will be lost for eternity. So I stood up and I preached my first sermon. In the next episode of Friday PM. And we all stayed together. We had a cook. And every night we had a visitor. Each one of us were able to invite someone to be at dinner. Wow. And so we led a lot of people to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it became a very exciting place to live and a lifestyle. Yeah. And when I came to leave, I closed my business. Mm. And my team were with me and my mom and dad were at the airport. They were so happy really? to say Lovely. goodbye to me. You know? <laughs> well, to have and, a missionary son is a... Yeah, yeah, I was. Never wanting to be a missionary. Okay. And the last thing I wanted to do, but there I was, became a missionary. And we were on one of the most famous corners of the red light district of Amsterdam. And that's where God wanted us to start a church.